Hello, it's um, Vanessa Garrity from Beyond the Room and I'm here um, at lunchtime now at the Improving Patient Safety event in Leeds and intriguingly I'm sat with um, two vets, Ellie and Julie, who are here today to, to learn really about um, what they can learn from healthcare in terms of how we do patient safety. Um, and perhaps as well it's making me think about what can we learn from vets as well. So I'll let Ellie and Julie introduce themselves first. So hi, my name's Ellie. I'm a small animal vet, been in clinical practice for about 15, 16 years. And I've just started doing a master's degree researching the role that communication plays in error and litigation claims in the veterinary practice. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm um, Julie and I've been a vet for 15 years and I've got quite a mixed background. Um, I've been a vet in all different areas, large animals, small animals, um, farm, horses, anything you can think of. Um, and I've just recently started a PhD uh, looking into how we can develop a just culture within the veterinary profession. Mm, very interesting. Yeah. So it's great for us to have the opportunity to um, join in events like this. We're very aware as a profession that we're just really starting on the journey of how we approach, address, research and answer the challenges of, of patient safety. Um, we know that mistakes happen in the delivery of veterinary care. Uh, it's not surprising because vets are humans in mm. the same way that yeah. all healthcare delivery is. Um, we want to learn from healthcare about what has gone well for them, about the way that you've approached patient safety, um, but also maybe what hasn't worked um, so well for you and what the differences between our professions mean for how we should approach patient safety. Yeah. So we've, we've had lots of uh, sort of interesting sessions that we've been able to, to join in with. Um, I think sort of two real sort of standouts for, for me are themes around how well-being and patient safety yeah. really go hand in hand and can't be separated. Mm. And I think as a profession, um, we're facing some challenges in terms of recruitment and retaining vets in practice mm. in making sure that vets are able to have purposeful, joyful, happy jobs yeah. and the links between doing that and providing safe care are obviously really, really strong. So it's been great to, to listen to what healthcare are doing in those areas. Yeah, and that sounds like that links to what you're starting to look at with your PhD study. Do you want to say a few words about that? Because I'm quite interested in the whole concept of just cultures. I'm a mental health nurse by background. So for me, that's really relevant, but I'm quite interested in how that applies to, to being a vet. Yeah, I think that, um, again, because we're at the, the very start of looking at patient safety within our profession because just culture is kind of the real kind of bedrock mm. of how that can be enabled um, I certainly feel like it's something that we need to define in our profession right now yeah. so what that means to vets so it's been really interesting over the last couple of days listening to healthcare professionals and also other um, other professions mm. um, police fire fighters yeah. about how they they kind of are looking at that within their profession um, 
because it can be very different mm. um, and, and understanding what people need from clients right yeah. up to the regulator um, that seems to be core to all the different all the different sectors yeah and um, so that's been sort of a similarity that I've really noticed and that's been quite helpful mm. I love all this um, personally love all this interdisciplinary kind of learning I think it's the way forward I think the NHS is very siloed and traditionally we you know we don't look outside of our own organization so for me you know it's a really positive thing and um, I think that there's a lot we could learn from the way vets kind of um, deal with particularly traumatic situations and um, you know my experience um, you know from having family pets really um, is that you know when I've dealt with um, vets it's always been I've always felt very well informed and been given information and choices and um, you know when bad news has been broken to us about family pets it's always been done in a very kind of compassionate um way so i'm quite interested in what you both think about how um we could perhaps learn from you um about the way that vets do things and how we might be able to apply that to the nhs and maybe what's different as well i think we've had we've had the benefit up to now um of, and, and, and probably still ongoing of having smaller teams mm. we were discussing that before we were chatting just now um how you replicate that is really difficult yeah. i think when you when you go into having larger systems and um, larger workplaces which is kind of what we're facing now with um kind of corporatization mm. um I, I don't know really how do you think we do that i think yeah i mean it's lovely to hear that feedback about the really sort of empathic mm. emotional care that staff are able to mm. deliver yeah. um, I don't think doing that is easy mm. and I think it carries a huge emotional load for the the teams and the staff yeah. that are doing that so it's how we actually manage to support staff to continue to do that. So sort of recognition of the fact that staff need to be able to sort of pour from, they can't pour from yeah. an empty cup. And very often we are prioritising continuing to deliver that level of mm. emotional empathic care. Yeah. And the payoff for that is that the potentially the, the mental health, certainly the sort of workplace well-being of staff is, is being challenged by that. So in terms of what healthcare can learn, I'm not sure, but I think what is absolutely clear and key for both professions is that the, the caring for the people who are doing the caring is foundational for them to be able to deliver this the, the care that it's so lovely to hear that you yeah you've, you've yeah. got yeah what I'm quite interested in as well is um, how we strike a balance between proceduralizing things mm. um, and keeping it human keeping yeah inside um, yeah and, and not losing our our humanness as it yeah. were through trying to um, yeah, pr pr over proceduralize things yeah. but having systems in place so that um, 
we, we can look at, for example, when things go wrong um, and when things go right, mm. but you know, keeping it on a on a level where we can provide that. Yeah. Um, I, I think what that, that resonates for me is this question around using a sort of safety one approach versus a safety two yeah. approach and the way that those are probably not mutually exclusive, they both need to, to be there. So I'm researching communication um, errors and how they contribute to patient safety problems and also complaints. And there are the diff these different ways in which communication breaks down yeah. and structured procedural things like um, you know S-bar, huddles, debrief and so on are things that probably aren't as common in, in mm. our profession and I think there's definitely a place for introducing those mm. but we want to do that without um, ignoring and alienating um, more of the, the sort of safety to approach of looking at what we're already doing well, yes. how teams are adapting, mm. um, flexing and, and delivering um, care in response to uncertainty and changing situations. So we really want to learn from some of the more structural procedural things that healthcare have put in place yeah. but want to not lead down that linear blame follow the procedure and if yeah. you don't then you're blamed yeah. but trying to, to look at a more sort of holistic safety too let's look at how work is actually done and how we can support people to continue doing what they normally do which is deliver great care yeah. in challenging situations yeah I mean, yesterday I was in a session about burnout. Do you think that's fairly common in um, in your practice as well? Thinking that of the difficult situations that you're dealing with day in and day out, and maybe um, you know the desensitisation that could happen, and how that might inhibit empathy and lead to burnout. I can imagine that that yeah. could be an issue. I, th I think I think that's a huge huge issue, and I was very interested in that session yesterday, looking at burnout can look like disengagement yeah. as well as exhaustion when people are disengaged their empathy isn't great their listening isn't great those are the things that I see failing when communication leads to yeah. errors and leads to uh, complaints so burnout has to be sort of addressed in order for us to be able to deliver safe care yeah yeah, that's interesting. Do you think maybe um, there's something in the facts as well that, you know, you generally pay to go to the service of a vet, whereas the NHS is obviously free at the point of care? Do you think, how do you think that might play out? I, I think it's a, a big challenge. I think for staff delivering the care, there's a sense of feeling anxious that people perceive us as being money oriented. Mm. I think vets feel concerned about the cost of, of their services yeah. and can feel resentful, I think, of clients raising uh, question marks over, over the cost because we feel that that's not what's motivating us to yeah. give the care. But at the same time, we want to support 
the businesses that we work yeah. for such that we can deliver the level and standard of care that we want to, mm. which we can only work in those businesses that deliver that care if they are economically viable. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a, a tension. Yeah. I think that's about having transparency as well. Yeah. Um, and does you know, making sure that we we're clear about where our values yeah. are, um, what the values and beliefs of the actual vets are, or, or the vets and, and other practitioners that work yeah. within the practice are, um, yeah. and that's kind of responsibility um, of the whole profession um, yeah. from from frontline employees mm. again right up to the. Yeah. leaders and regulators and in a way it's quite similar to when you go and see a dentist isn't it even if you have an nhs dentist there yeah. are things that you can have as nhs treatment and there are things that you have to pay for and it's kind of the ethics of the dentist explaining to you you know the the risks and the benefits of, of what you can be offered and how much that will cost and being yeah. able to make an informed decision about treatment yeah. Yeah. but in a kind of fair way it seems yeah. that's what it springs to mind really for me yeah, um, but I think again that is effortful work. It's things that we need to do to deliver that transparency, to talk about the risk benefits mm. of, of different treatment options, and that's all really hard work. Yeah, and so again, it's sort of recognizing that people need to be supported to be able to sort of keep doing that. Yeah. Otherwise, those conversations. With, with clients don't happen in the way that they should happen yeah. and that then erodes the trust, erodes the relationship mm. and it's hard for us to deliver the care that we want to and for, yeah. for clients to receive the care for their animals that they want to. Yeah, interesting. One thing before we um, recorded we were talking about the kind of difference between you know like family vets and then vets that are becoming part of massive organisations and um, and interestingly I won't name the vets but I talked about my own vets my perception was it was a family vet and it appears that it isn't a family vet <laughs> at all it's part of a larger organisation so I'm just thinking um, around the NHS and the way that primary care is changing at the moment and the way that um, GP practices whilst they're still the centre of people's communities are now part of bigger um, federations of practices and maybe there are some parallels there and around how you kind of maintain that very sort of um, place-based approach in people's communities but a part of it, a bigger organisation which can benefit people in other ways because of the range of services but the kind of challenges of kind of have providing a personal human service and kind of what seems much more corporate. Um, I think that's really interesting and it, it's really difficult to know how you yeah. do it but um, I think what is important is that um, to, to allow positive local cultures yes. to work within a larger organisational culture um, and it not just be that it becomes a factory for yeah. uh, you know a larger kind of money making machine yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's not what mm. um, it's about at all um, and yeah. that's how you keep it sort of real for people yeah and I think I think that's where communication comes in and yeah. we focus on delivering uh, empathic respectful um, 
inclusive communication when we're trying to deal with our clients and I think it is just as crucial and fundamental and as we get these sort of onion layers of, mm. of bigger organisations um, that that communication filters down in the same the same way so that the, the values that the, the organisation are trying to support and encourage are delivered because people behave in that yeah. way and they communicate with each other um, in a way that that lives those those values mm. I think there's a there's a tendency for values to be laminated in the tea room and not necessarily yeah. <laughs> lived out yeah, in the way I that agree. people are actually mm. treated mm. and the way that you communicate is the way that you demonstrate your relationship with people yeah and I guess I think again there's some learning there from the NHS because obviously you know you're dealing with animals and they can only communicate really like non-verbally or certainly not from you know using our language and things and yet you're able to kind of um, you know put them at ease reduce the distress so there's something there isn't there about um, working in those situations in the NHS with you know people who maybe do have communication difficulties yeah I think we need to use the whole picture yeah and certainly from the work that I'm doing when we don't use the whole picture when we don't integrate the client's perspective and all of the massively valuable information they can give us about Mm. what's going on with the animal that's when things start to to sort of fall apart so it's, it's using what's the animal telling us yeah yeah what's the client telling us what's our clinical experience telling yeah. us and i think really importantly as well potentially what are the other team members telling us what mm. are the reception staff saying the pet looked like in the waiting room or the owner disclosed to them that they don't disclose to the vet what's the nurse saying so i think yeah maybe there is some learning there about how when we get it right we're using the the power of our small teams so Mm. that we all contribute to getting the best plan for the for the animal yeah brilliant any final points no i think just we're just really grateful to be able to be involved in discussions yeah it's lovely to feel that you want to hear what's going on in our profession yeah. and lovely that there's that perspective of potentially what can healthcare take from what's going well in, in, in our profession because yeah. um, I think we should be hugely proud a lot of the time of the care Definitely, that we deliver yeah. but yeah. It's, it's not always easy no. and I think a lot of the challenges are, are very similar. Yeah, that's brilliant, it's absolutely fascinating talking to you both and um, if people are listening and they kind of wanted to connect with you um, or to find out more about kind of the work that you're both doing um, are you both on Twitter? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at, at Ellie Russell Vet, and I'm on Twitter at the Just Vet. Brilliant, thank you both. Mm-hmm.